Bible has been around, read, adjusted, and interacted with for literally ages. Greg has read it so you don't have to, and now births into the world, Better Bible. Before we begin, as you will be listening to a retelling of Bible, please note that trigger warnings are in place for racism, xenophobia, violence, sexual assault, rape, child abuse, incest, animal cruelty, and more. Welcome to A Better Bible. Here we go then. The second and final book of Chronicles, the final bit of single-minded repetition, and I dare say every stroke of Bible going forward will be fresh hot takes, and not one bit will be lazy regurgitations of previously recorded shit. Sound good? Let's do this. Solomon is king. Remember him? From every other bastard book? Pussy, non-war-loving Solomon, temple-building coward Solomon is king. God is proper on his side and has a chat to all of Israel from Gibeon, which is where God's special little tent is. God offers Solomon anything, right? Wealth, ladies, strength, anything he could conceive of could be his. It's just offered to him on a plate. Solomon has a long hard think about this and decides that he has pretty much everything he could hope for, so ask God for wisdom. You may remember this story. Uh, he asked for wisdom, which ends up being like a cheat code, as God is so impressed that he didn't ask for the other stuff, like fame, fortune, wealth, power, death of enemies, that God grants him wisdom and fame and fortune and wealth and power and death of his enemies. He gets it all. Jerusalem, as a result, is wow proper rich, like obscene levels of wealth. Now, that's all sorted. It is time for Solomon to get on with the real Solomon business and give orders to build a goddamn temple. Remember, we are retreading old ground here. Don't get all confused thinking that this has already happened. It has already happened, but Bible is telling us the story again. Clear? I mean, it will be built and destroyed and rebuilt over and over. This stuff will be repeated, but this right here is still the story bit of the first bit that it was built when it was originally built that first time. Okay, we're all on the same page. Now, Solo wants a temple for God and a palace for him, and he gets a job load of people involved to do it. He orders cider logs, or cedar logs, from someone off of somewhere, and there's a bit of a chat about bread, because who doesn't love bread? As their god is greater than any of the other gods who clearly exist, this temple will be mint. And right, after all this, Solomon seems to get cold feet about the whole temple plan and orders a man to design a temple instead of simply building it. That's right, he ran off and started making plans for the temple before he'd even stopped to think about what the bastard thing would look like. But... Having it designed seems seems sensible, I guess. They get to ordering all kinds of kit and material, and we meet a king of tires, that's who he wants to order those logs from, and he gets a fellow called Huram to sign for everything. To be honest, I'm not sure this bit needs to be included, so let's gloss over it. Right? There's loads of foreigners knocking about, so each of those are put to work. He now begins to build the temple on Mount Miria, and we get a description of the temple, like a very detailed one. All of the measurements you could imagine, each and every one of them means 
nothing to me, but we get numbers and all the building materials being used, which is like gold and silver and juniper, and it, it's a lot, right? Like an audacious amount of stuff. The place sounds like one of those crass places, I think Trump or Hussein lived in, right? Time comes to pass and the temple's complete. Ta-da! Solomon then puts all of dead King David's stuff in the treasury. Then he decides it's about time to grab the old Ark of God. You know the one with the Ten Commandments tablet in it, and if anyone other than Levites touch it, they'll go all rage as the lost Ark. That one. Solly gets some Levites to grab it from Zion and fuck it off into the temple. Uh, he gets some musicians to make a din. How much din? 120 trumpets worth of din. Then a cloud appears in the temple like that art piece, right? But instead of art, it is God. A cloud. God is a cloud, right? There's a weird b bit now where Solomon is saying to the cloud that is God, or God is hiding inside it or something, which is an odd image, right? A tiny, powerful God hiding in a cloud, probably in a diaper and shivering. His God skin damp with cloud water juice and Solomon saying thanks for everything and we said we would build you a temple and have now done that look well well try and look through the cloud at the temple you are in good isn't it now they have slaved up foreigners and used them Solomon's prayer which goes on and on by the way he is a chatty little bastard just like his dad was on the deathbed he adds to be nice to foreigners starting now Prayer ends, fire magic's down from heaven and eats all the sacrifices. Ah, yeah, there were loads of sacrifices as well. You know how God be. Seven days of festivities occurred to celebrate this greedy, greedy, piggy, piggy God. Uh, yeah, right, the royal palace is also completed. We better get a job load of description of that dimension. Good stuff. So after Solomon's prayer and God pipes up going, Yo, all cool dude, tell you what. If you lot are good to me, I'll be good to you. If you act like a bitch and turn away from me, this temple will be an utter tip and everyone will hate you lot. Not that that's likely to ever happen, right? But just in case, you'll be utterly and completely destroyed. Okay, so we have so far learned that you must be kind to foreigners, God is happy, and everything is great. 20 years pass and Solomon has finished the temple. Was, was it not finished? Were those seven days of celebrations not for it being finished? Were, were they celebrations all because temple construction had begun? Jesus, what? Fuck it, right? 20 years, temple done, and Solomon has also fixed up loads of towns, which were presumably in disarray over the last 20 years and no one much minded. But all the people who weren't Israelites are turned into slaves, okay? Everyone. Now we've sorted out that we have to be nice to foreigners and all foreigners are slaves, uh, we get to check in with the Queen of Sheba, who hears of Solomon. Yep, same story. This whole book is a rehash of previous things. Tedious, really, isn't it? She rocks up with the caravan. Solomon remembers he's dead wise, right? He answers all her questions. She's wow impressed and tells him he's super dope, so here's a fuckload of gold and spices. And he loves nothing more than gold and spices. Hoovers that shit up. Now everyone's chucking jewels and money and just wealth and awesome at Solomon because he is smart. And it turns out if someone has a problem, what is really needed is for that problem to be solved. Not just listen to them vent and go, oh, that does sound awful. No, actually say, if you've got a problem, yo, I'll solve it. Check out my hook whilst my DJ revolves it. The world loves him. He is dumb rich and all the rest of his stuff you can read 
elsewhere. This, right, this is an annoying habit that comes up over and over in this book. It happened quite a bit in Chronicles 1, but they've gone to override here in Chronicles 2. Right? It will tell you a story, right, and it will finish saying, oh yeah, I can't be bothered with this story. Look, you've already read it in this particular book, and if you want more info, go and fucking read that one again, yeah? Which is the very most annoying Bible trick. It happens almost every chapter every fucking chapter this book goes out of its way to remind you that you have already read a better version of this story okay time for the info to get a bit patchy and time also for my pronunciation of various names to get ropey as shit Rehoboam succeeds Solomon and Jeroboam comes back out of exile. Nope, I can't remember either. Jebby is all like, dude, your dad hate, hated us, will you be chill? And Reboam is like, I don't know, man, give me a minute to chat with my peeps about this. He checks in with them for advice, right? He goes to the oldies first and they say, if you're kind, then they'll be your servants forever and it'll be like really, really nice if you're good to these former exile man, like, like Right, just be nice to people, people are nice to you, you can get more out of them if you're friendly, okay? So why don't we all just chill out and be friends? Which sounds pretty good advice, but Rab then asks his mates for their opinion, and they tell him, fuck them up more, right? Your dad hit them with whips, so you're gonna hit them with scorpions. Which is an impractical, but pretty cool image, right? He follows the mate's advice rather than the elders. The Israelites do not like this one bit. And what do they do? They start stoning people. Just random people. So Rehoboam bails and we have Israel in rebellion against the house of David. This will be where it splits in two. I reckon. Uh, feels right, doesn't it? From this point on, we have Israel kings and Judah kings. Most of this book bangs on about the kings of Judah, right? Rab wants to go to war against Israel, and God has to intervene, telling him to chill out. Look, this is obviously my plan. Just calm your fucking passions, okay? The war is off. Everyone calms themselves down a little bit, and Rab does decide to take a few towns and fortify them all up, you know, just, just in case. So everything seems to be tense and quite quickly going all to shit. Israel and Judah are separate and at each other's throats. Jeroboam is kind of king of kind of Jerusalem and Rab is king of Judah and they are not friends but don't really go to war because God tells them not to and Jay starts building all kinds of wrong God worship things whilst R marries his cousin and a further 17 other women. Nice. And has a job load of concubines which I think is fine. That seems to be pointed out as a fact other than a reason for him being awesome or a bell or anything like that. Now time comes to pass and Rab is all strong so as seems customary in this book turns his back on God because true to form they piss and moan cry and whinge when they're weak and scared please God please help and when they don't need him they are actively a dick or at least God actively believes them to be a dick to dare reach for independence. In this particular case of God feeling slighted, he gets the king of Egypt to attack them. God thinks they are whores, so will abandon them to Shishak, 
who is an Egyptian god, Shashak presumably irritated that they suddenly have another god's admin to deal with. God's people are all of a sudden feeling all sheepish, so humble themselves to God, saying, We're sorry, Dad. Didn't mean it. Sorry. And God says, Look, you know i got a soft spot for you, so I'm not going to allow you to get destroyed. However, lessons got to be learned. Still, I'm going to have Egypt capture you and make you their servant, so you can see that maybe, just maybe, yeah, it's better serving me than them, isn't it? Maybe I'm the one that you want over you. Proper mental god nonsense, right? Temple gets plundered, and once more we hear that if we want more information about the endless war between Rob and Jerry, read about it elsewhere. Next up, we get Abiza being king of Judah, and he is well angry at Jeroboam for being king and unfaithful to God. Abiza is full-on telling off Jeroboam for worshipping the wrong gods, and then there's an ambush, and Judah is under attack from Israel, I think. Basically, what you need to know is that there's goodies and baddies, and they're attacking one another. The goodies ask God to help, so God does help and fucks over Israel. Judah are victorious, and God's side are really always going to be the winners. You can read more elsewhere. And this is the pattern. The goodies will ask God for help and be indescribable odds each and every time. Israel will keep getting fucked, Judah will keep being the best one. And for this whole book, God's people will side with God and prosper, go against God and be destroyed, repeat. I think this pattern plays out for another, like, 20 times in this book, so buckle in, because we are going to do this. Asa is a king of Judah, right, I think, and gets rid of all the false gods, makes Judah follow proper God, and, you know, just lovely stuff. If you seek God, you'll find him, abandon him, he'll abandon you. Everyone who doesn't love God will be put to death, and Asa sacked his mum from mum duties because she was a rubbish mum because she made a repulsive image of Asherah, probably tits or something. Basically, Asa was a God-fearing nerd with mummy issues. More nerds! Uh, Basha, Israel the king, wants a ruck with Judah, war, war, war. Uh, Joshaphat, king of Judah, and blah, blah, blah. Nerds! Someone was a prick for being ill and seeking help from a medical professional instead of asking a deity. Lame. Oh, oh, Ahab is a balland. Never forget that. We get a silly little story about a specific war or battle or whatever it is. Ahab invites Joshua Fat to join him in a war against Ramoth Gilead. I think they were busy existing, so it had to be destroyed, right? They start out by agreeing lovely stuff, but then they see the prophet Mika, who may or may not be the prophet Mika from off of the book of Mika. Let's say they're the same one. Okay, they see the self-same Mika from the Mika book being all Mika and saying Mika things, and he's famously all doom and gloom. Every single other prophet, no idea why you need loads of prophets, surely you only need one at a time, because if they're all correct, then they will all be saying the same stuff, and if they contradict one another, as they will in just a bit, right, then you run into trouble as, who do you believe? They're all speaking the word of God, and surely if you don't know which prophet is speaking the real God's stuff, so you don't know what to listen to, it renders the whole notion of prophecy null and void. They become simply a nuisance if they can't be trusted. Anyway, right, uh, there's currently loads of them. So every single prophet, other than Mika, is saying, Hey, go to the war, it'll be a success, it'll be amazing. Mika, oh, 
doom and gloom, wow, wow, cry, cry, Mika, right? He's saying they will fail. Everyone is just going typical Mika, eh? Being all wow, 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 fun sponge, not wanting anyone to have their enjoyable fight in. But Mika is seeing things differently, saying, whoa, 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 hang on. All those other prophets have been visited by a demon who is pretending to be the voice of God, not a demon, sorry, uh, an angel tricking them because God wanted them to be tricked to see if anyone would go to war because God told them to, even though he was pranking them. It's a prick, isn't it? This is defo a dick move that God's doing right here. So, so here's the thing, right? If Mika is the only one telling the truth, right, that's, that's good. Or is Mika going against God by ruining God's fun and telling them the truth when God wants to prank them because he thinks it'll be hilarious or whatever, right? Does God want them to be deceived or does he want them to work out the real deal? Does he want to be there going like, ah, but if you listen, right, I was testing you and seeing whether you would do what I told you, even if it was a bad idea. So, well, of course we would. God, every time you tell us to do something, it sounds like a shit idea. And if we don't do it, then you're really angry at us. But this time you told us to do a thing. And remember, you did tell us to do the thing. And you wanted to go against what you said, which you did, and, and you said it. How? You're gonna... We would assume... You, you've just said you'll abandon us. What? What do you want? Whatever. Right. Doesn't matter. This bastard book's just a quick capture review of what has come before. The battle happens, Israel King is in disguise or something, and still gets got in a Shakespearean twist of mistaken identity, and gets killed in the end anyway. Dead. Some seer tells Joshua Fat that he's mostly a prick, but has some good in him, so Joshua Fat, emboldened by this news, goes and converts a few people to true God belief. A few people decide to wage a war against him. This is the book, right? Uh, war after war after war. These people will destroy him, so God says, be chill, he'll sort it. And he does, there you go. The story in Bible took ages, and I summed it up in a heartbeat. Okay, the next ten chapters just list the remaining kings. Some are good, some are evil, temple gets looted and rebuilt, and looted and rebuilt, and false gods get worshipped, and then their worship places are torn down, and then they're rebuilt, and then they're torn down. Repeat, repeat, repeat the entire thing, just the same over and over. Now, the book ends with two stories. We get Josiah, who is the most God-loving and God-fearing ever, and three chapters just piss on about how awesome this prick is. Then he dies, and everyone writes laments about him and go around essentially worshipping him. And as we have a great king, he has to be followed by a shit one. Enter Jehoahaz. Almost as bad as Ahab, but Ahab, king prick. No one is dealing in quite the prickage of Ahab but it is pretty close. This is the last bit of the book, the very last story, which includes Nebuchadnezzar fucking off Jehoahaz and installing his own king, Zephaniah, who is a felon, and even a dick to Nebuchadnezzar. All hell breaks loose, the temple is fucked again, you're Rama, God's messages are mocked and killed, men, women and children are killed, God abandons his people to Nebo and annihilates them, enslaving some, murdering others, looty looty looty, every single thing how dear to God's people, it's a state, utter carnage. This remains the way for about pff, 70 years, right? At which point God chills out a little bit and Cyrus, the king of Persia, is moved by God to rebuild the temple and I think lets God's people 
go. It's all the same old shit we've already read, just a lightning round version of it. That's it. That's the end of Chronicles. That was, well, happened, didn't it? Thanks for sticking with me as these two books just do a less good version of Kings and Samuel. But next time, we're still with the narrative books, but we're going to move on to Ezra. So who knows? Maybe there will be some new stories to sink our teeth into. Maybe? What do you reckon? Thank you for listening to A Better Bible. Now we need you to spread the word. Rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes. Follow the Twitter in the episode description and let us know how we changed your life, why you love us, how you need us. Share this with the world. Evangelize like a bastard.